Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn there with me. Hebrews 11 and verse number 23. If you uh, don't have a Bible, feel free to follow along on the screen behind me today. Our series that we began in the month of January at the beginning is Foundation of Faith. We're studying through Hebrews chapter 11, and we're studying through what it means to live a life of faith. And then we are taking some of the different characters from Hebrews 11 and focusing on their stories and how they live a life of faith. There in Hebrews 11, verse number 23, I'll read down to verse 29. The Word of God says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26 says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect, unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 28 says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And then by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. We ask that you would give us faith, that you would increase our faith. For the one here who may not be saved, I pray that they would, by grace, through faith, put their trust in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As I mentioned, it's, it's great to be back in uh, Ohio. It is about 80 degrees in Honduras right now. I just want you all to know that, that we are bearing our cross this morning, uh, coming today. Uh, I want you to know as well that I, I didn't have a Sunday off last Sunday. I still preached last Sunday. It was just about half as long because it was through a translator, and so which is difficult. If you've ever spoken through a translator, because you can get out about one sentence or a few words and then stop, and then another sentence and then stop. And I'm like a rabid dog trying to get off the chain and uh, had to keep pulling me back. At one point in time, so I, I really don't, I don't speak Spanish well at all. I know very little Spanish. I know um, just enough to offend someone, all right? Um, but while we were there, we had Lindsay who sang for us. She's, uh, she knows some Spanish. She was kind of like our interpreter when we didn't have an interpreter, which was awesome. But as I was preaching, you know, you try to talk while you're down there. You say everything you can. I was saying all 18 words that I knew just over and over again and try to have conversations the the Hondurans, they love that, uh, and uh, m maybe just a laugh at us trying to speak their language, but many of them speak English. Um, so I would try as much as I could to say what words I knew or to have a conversation with someone to try to build a little relationship. While I was preaching, though, in English, being translated into Spanish, at one point in time, I just got going, and I started to say something in Spanish. I, I just started to go for it, and uh, it was as close as I had come to speaking in tongues ever in my life, and uh, 
And then I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> and then I went back, stick to the script, and uh, back to English. But I did have the opportunity to preach. Actually, about half of our group gave a message or devotion of some sort while we were there. And again, encourage you to come back tonight. Um, Foundation of Faith is our series. We've been looking at the definition of faith. And now in Hebrews 11, the author gives us examples of men and women who lived a life of faith. Today, we will study the story of Moses. You could accurately say that Moses was the greatest man in all of the Old Testament. It was through Moses that the law of God was given to the people of Israel. He is the author of Israel's great history. He wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. And although Genesis doesn't mention Moses, although he was the author, his life fills the pages of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses had great influence because of his great faith in a great God. Now, let me remind you, as all of the characters in Hebrews 11, Moses was not perfect. He did not have a perfect faith. As a matter of fact, everyone mentioned in Hebrews 11 was merely a sinner saved by grace. Can you say amen to that? He did fail. Um, at one point, he killed someone. Moses did not even enter into the promised land because God commanded him to strike the rock once, and he struck it twice. And because of that disobedience, he was allowed to see the promised land, but he could not go in. He doubted God at times. When the Lord appeared to Moses at the burning bush and he said, you will go for me, Moses began to make excuses, didn't he? I, I, I can't talk, Lord, and, and what am I going to say? And they're not going to believe me and send Aaron instead. And maybe on paper, Aaron would have been a better choice. He was already in Egypt. He was the older brother. Uh, he wasn't a murderer. That, that's a good thing to have on your resume, right? And he seemed to have some natural speaking or leading ability, but God didn't choose Moses for this task, or Aaron for this task. He chose Moses. Maybe God saw something we didn't see. Because the first opportunity Aaron had to lead the children of Israel, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Aaron led them straight into idolatry, didn't he? Aaron, you could say, had the greater talent. Moses had the greater trust. The Lord is always more likely to use someone of great faith and trust than great talent because talent only gets you so far. Faith takes you where talent cannot. Yes, Moses was gifted. Yes, he was blessed by God with great abilities. But he is not recorded in Hebrews 11 because of his talents or because of his abilities, but because of his great faith. And so even though he doubted at times, Lord, I can't speak. Lord, use someone else. What, would I, what will I say? I can't talk. God said, Moses, who made your mouth? God uses those often of little talent, yet great faith. Today we are going to study the root of his faith, the rejection of his faith, the reality of his faith, and finally the reward. Let's start number one this morning with the root. The root of his faith. How did his faith begin? Look there in verse 23 of Hebrews 11 one more time with me. We see the beginning of his faith. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. If I were to ask you to name 
the mother and father of Moses? Could you do it? Maybe you might get one of them. But right now, think. Maybe your brain is running and you're thinking, I, I think I know this, I think I know this. What are their names? Amram and Jochebed. You say, who are Amram and Jochebed? Uh, I've never heard of those people before. Well, they may be obscure to you and me, but they are precious saints in the sight of God. God thought enough of them to put them in the believer's hall of faith. You see, so far in Hebrews 11, all of the saints are very well-known characters. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But here we have mentioned Amram and Jochebed. These are very unfamiliar names. And yet they exercised great faith in God, and God thought their faith so significant that he recorded it in the Holy Scripture. The point is this. The story of the faith of Moses begins with the faith of his parents. A wicked Pharaoh, because he saw the enslaved Israelites growing rapidly in population, commanded that all of the male children born would be put to death. Amram and Jochebed held or hid their newborn son Moses and then decided after three months to make him a waterproof basket and to send him down the river, where there he was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh, princess of Egypt, who adopted Moses as her own child. Yet she called for an Israelite woman to raise and nurse the child because she couldn't do it on her own. Miriam, the sister of Moses, was watching from afar and she stepped up and said, uh, I know someone who could raise the baby. And then took her brother back to her mother to raise him. And ladies, on top of this, she got paid to do it. Can you imagine, moms, if someone brought you a check tomorrow and said, here, and you're like, what's this for? Raising your own child, right? I mean, we believe God is a worker of miracles, but still, that's hard to believe, right? Their faith became his. Now that doesn't mean that Moses was saved because of their faith, but rather the influence of their faith impacted Moses in such a way that he became a, a man of faith himself. It reminds me in the New Testament of Timothy, who was influenced by the faith of his grandmother and mother. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5, the apostle writes, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Mom and dad, you can't pass on what you don't possess. Moses' faith, as we will describe it in a few moments, is no surprise because parents of faith often give birth to children of faith. They hid Moses, and they put him in a river, because it says they saw he was a proper child. Some, some renderings say a beautiful child, but that doesn't mean what you might think. That they were just kind of gushing over how adorable Moses was, and were like, oh, we got to hide him because of how beautiful he is. Every parent thinks that about their children, right? 
Sometimes my wife will show me a picture of a baby or something and say, oh, look at so-and-so's newborn baby. And, and then she'll say, oh, doesn't it look like the dad or doesn't it look like the mom or, she's, or it's got the, the nose of the dad. I see the mouth of the mom. And I'm like, like every dude, it looks like a baby to me, right? <laughs> like every other baby I've ever seen is what it looks like. They all look the same unless they're your baby, right? And then they're precious and beautiful and more beautiful, right? When it says they, they kept him because he was a proper child or a beautiful child, it doesn't mean that they were just speaking of his outward appearance. Uh, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, while Stephen was preaching in the book of Acts, he referenced Moses, and he said this, that he was lovely in the eyes of God. He was lovely in the eyes of God. In other words, Amram and Jochebed seem to believe that God has had a specific purpose for the life of Moses. You see, they believe the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the promised land. And while the record does not state specifically, it could well be that these two parents were given direct revelation from God that Moses had a special destiny among the children of Israel. Not primarily because of his external beauty or their natural affections toward him. That's not why they hid him. They hid him because they had faith. They believed God. They trusted God for a humanly impossible situation. Remember, faith is believing that God will keep his promises despite the circumstances that seem to be the contrary. It took great faith, moms, for Jochebed to put her child in that little ark in the high grass at the bank of the river. Great faith. Can you imagine? We just went to Great Wolf Lodge with our kids the other day. I asked the kids. I didn't even ask mama. I asked the kids, you think mom would let me take Joanna down one of these slides? <laughs> I wasn't really going to, all right? I was just testing them, and they were like, no way. <laughs> Here is this mother who places her son in a basket and sends him down the river. Now, some commentators would say it's very likely she had an idea that the daughter of Pharaoh would normally bathe in that area and that she would discover him. And, and okay, even if that were true, even if it were. That doesn't mean she knew Moses wouldn't be put to death. I guess it is possible. Maybe the Lord did reveal to them specifically the path of Moses being raised as Egyptian royalty. We can't be sure. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We can wonder. Some things the Bible just doesn't tell us, and we just don't know. Um, uh, just the other week in Kids Club, the kids were asking Bible questions we asked them, and then they were asking us some Bible questions. And one of the kids asked, how long did it take Mary and Joseph to get to Bethlehem? This was around Christmas time. And uh, I didn't know the answer to that question. I'm scratching my head thinking, I don't know if that's in the Bible. But I said, but how long? I asked them. And uh, the, the girl was like, I don't know. I was just asking you <laughs> if, if you knew. And I was like, I don't know the answer. Does anybody know the answer to that question? I asked, and no one knew the answer to that question. I don't know if the Bible says. Well, 
one of the other children went home that night deeply disturbed that I did not know the answer to that question. I, as the pastor, right, I should know the answer to every Bible question. And she prayed that night with her mommy and daddy, God, please let Pastor Nathan know more about the Bible so that he can answer these questions. And um, amen, I need those prayers, I really do. We just don't know what God revealed to these parents, Amram and, and Jochebed. It's possible, the Bible seems to indicate that they had some inclination that the Lord was going to use Moses. Nonetheless, they still had to put him in the basket. Warren Wearsby says, though godly parents cannot pass on their faith as they do family traits, they can certainly create an atmosphere of faith at home and be examples to their children a home should be the first school of faith for a child. Children here today, you ought to thank God if your parents are raising you differently than the world around you. You ought to praise God for that today. Mom and Dad, will our faith live on in the next generation? We all want to raise a Moses if you have kids. We all want to raise a Moses, but are we willing to have the faith of Amram and Jochebed? Without their faith, we wouldn't have the faith of Moses. That was the root, the beginning. Number two, let's look at the rejection because of his faith. The rejection. You see, faith doesn't cause you uh, simply to do certain things. It also causes you to refuse other things. Let's see what Moses rejected because of his faith. Verse 24 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, when he was come to years, Moses, when he was come to years, refused or rejected to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did Moses reject? He rejected his position. He rejected or refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was the grandson of Pharaoh, the greatest ruler on the planet. It doesn't get any more prestigious than that. Egypt was the most sophisticated and advanced society on earth. He had a position. He had power. He had privilege. He had prestige. And yet he rejected it all and instead chose to identify himself with the people of God. He believed that God would fulfill his promise to his people, even though the Israelites had been enslaved for over 400 years and there was no prospect of deliverance. That's faith. Moses refused to compromise. He would not have one foot in Egypt and one foot in Israel. He would not be half in the palace and half in the promised land. I read a story about a, a missionary from years ago, Baron von Veltz. You say, did he accomplish great things for God? If you try to look up his name, you probably won't find anything. He was highly esteemed in Europe, and yet he rejected his title, his revenues, his estates, because he wanted to become a missionary for Jesus Christ. Today, his body fills a lonely grave 
at the time that he renounced his title to become a missionary, this is what he wrote. What is it to me to have the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be the servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I need of God's grace? All these vanities I throw away and lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus. And thus did Moses, rejecting the world's prestige. What does faith look like? It doesn't care about the fame of the world. Moses rejected a great name in Egypt, and because he did, the Lord gave him a name that would never pass away. That's faith. What else did he reject? Not only his position, he rejected the pleasures of sin. Now in verse 25 of Hebrews 11, it says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses would have been offered all the physical enjoyments he could ever have, but he turned away because these pleasures were only for a what? Season. Even if you live to a good old age, friend, life at its longest is still short compared to eternity. Don't live for what the world will promise you today. Live for what God has promised you in the future. Sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Don't be surprised by that statement. If, if it wasn't, we wouldn't do it, right? Sin is fun. It is pleasurable for a season. There was plenty of pleasure to be had in Egypt. Moses could have indulged all of his lust as a prince. No desire would be unfulfilled. I fear that many Christians would indulge sin much more often if given the opportunity. What most Christians lack is an opportunity. Moses had all the opportunity and still rejected it because it was only for a season. Job chapter 20, verse number 4, reminds us of this great truth. Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Remember the story of David and Bathsheba. For a moment of pleasure, David reaped a lifetime of heartache. I doubt David really thought through the ramifications of his sin, and yet God disappeared in his lust-glazed eyes, and he enjoyed sin for a season, but that season quickly came to an end, and he was left to live with the consequences of his actions. Maybe you struggle with this same thought. You look around, and you see others who reject God, blaspheme his name, and yet their life seems to be great, while yours is maybe not so great. You see the wicked prospering while, while you're struggling, and you start to wonder, God, I, this isn't adding up. 
We are your people. Yet they mock you and despise you and curse you and they seem blessed and we seem cursed. You're not the first person to struggle with that. In Psalm 73, there's a man by the name of Asaph who pins his his feelings on paper for us to read. Psalm 73, verse number 3, it says this. Asaph writes, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I I coveted what they had. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They have everything they want. Verse 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. They're speaking against you, God. Verse 10, therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them and they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? In other words, God, are you seeing any of this? Verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verse 13, what does his heart tell him to do? Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocency. It's all for nothing. What is the point of following you if we suffer and they don't? He says in verse number 15, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. When I, when I tried to wrap my mind around how God would allow something like this, it was too painful for me. I couldn't figure it out. Verse 17, until until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? He said, I I was all tore up, God, how they could prosper, And we could suffer until I understood their end. And I realized that all of the pleasures that they are enjoying are but for a season. And as in a moment, it will be taken away from them. All sin is for a season. Moses rejected the pleasures of the world. He had all the sin he could ever want at his fingertips, and he turned away from it. Friend, that's what a life of faith does. It rejects the temporary pleasures and places its trust in God for a future joy, a future pleasure that is unlike anything this world offers. He rejected his position. He rejected the pleasures. He rejected the treasures of Egypt. Look at verse 26 with me. 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, than the treasure in Egypt. Greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. You know, it takes very little to be loved by the world. It takes no effort at all to just blend in with the crowd, to go with the grain of culture. It's been said that even a dead dog can swim with the tide. Yet as Moses and followers of Jesus Christ, we must resolve it is better, far better, to walk alone than with the crowd going in the wrong direction. All that Moses had to do to inherit the riches of Egypt was compromise, yet he refused. And can I say the same thing about you, Christian? If you want to blend in, you want to fit in, you want to be loved by the world, it's easy. All you have to do is compromise. Compromise. Compromise on what you believe. Compromise on the Word of God. Compromise about your Savior. Moses would have been given an unspeakable amount of earthly wealth, and yet he rejected his right to inherit earthly fame and fortune. Why did he reject it? Because he knew it was temporal treasure that was going to rot, and so he turned away from the palace. He turned away from the riches. Over 3,000 years have passed since Moses died. Had he chosen the riches of Egypt, as soon as he died, he would have lost everything in the moment he passed into eternity. Mark chapter 8, verse number 36, says this, Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Man, this is a great example. Moses teaches us not to sacrifice future rewards in glory on the altar of present pleasures. Instead of having everything he could ever want, Moses put himself into a position where he had nothing. Instead of having honor, he put himself in a position of dishonor. Moses went from the palace to the chains of a slave. He was rich and became poor, just like Jesus Christ. It's as if Moses placed upon the scales the riches of Egypt and the reproaches of Christ, and he found the reproaches of Jesus as of greater value than all the riches of Egypt. It is of much greater worth to suffer for Christ than to be loved by the world. He rejected it. Why? Because he had faith. Number three, the reality of his faith. The reality of his faith. Let me say this. Faith is an action word. Faith is not passive. It's not just some idea or, or belief that you have. Faith, if not reflected in reality, by definition, isn't truly faith. So the author of Hebrews finishes his section on Moses showing us. Moses didn't just say he had faith. His parents didn't just have faith. But he gives us examples, three specifically. 
three acts of faith in this great man of God's life. The first one is found in verse 27. Notice it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He left Egypt, even though the Pharaoh was angry. So angry that at one point, Pharaoh said, you will not see my face again. If you do, I will kill you. Moses said, you are right. I will not see your face again. Yet Moses wasn't afraid. He feared Pharaoh so little because he feared God so much. It was said of the Scottish reformer John Knox that he feared God so much that he never feared man. When asked how he could so boldly confront the Roman Catholic queen, John Knox replied this, One does not fear the queen of Scotland when he has been on his knees before the king of kings. By faith, Moses left Egypt. Verse number 28, it says, through faith, he kept the Passover in the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. God used Moses to bring the ten plagues to Egypt. The tenth plague, and perhaps worst of all, was the death of the firstborn. God commanded that every firstborn in every home would die if, if, they did not sacrifice a spotless lamb and then take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of your home. If they would do that in faith, if they would believe God and take him at his word, when the death angel would come to each home, if he saw the blood applied to the door, he would pass over and they would be spared from judgment. What a tremendous picture of Jesus Christ who is called in the New Testament our Passover lamb, that if you have the blood of Christ applied to your heart and to your soul, when the day of judgment comes, God's judgment will pass over you, not because of anything you've done, but because he sees the blood of the lamb. The Egyptians, they didn't believe God. And the Bible says there was a great cry in Egypt that day unlike anything that had ever happened before you can imagine as the Israelites were out observing the Passover meal how much the Egyptians laughed and mocked them as they are literally painting their doors with blood and yet Moses obeyed because he had faith he had faith a life of faith is a life of obedience. It's an action in our lives. It's one thing to say you believe the gospel can work anywhere and save anyone's soul. It's another thing to leave your home, your friends, your family, the language that you speak, the culture that you know, to go to a place like so many of our missionaries have done where they know no one. They don't speak the language. They don't know the culture by faith. They say it. They prove that they believe it because they go. It's an action. 
Verse number 29, we see the third act. The third act of faith mentioned here, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. They passed through on dry land. That fact is actually repeated three times in Exodus just to emphasize the miraculous nature of God's salvation. He doesn't want us to get confused that this was some sort of natural occurrence, even though whenever something miraculous happens in the Bible, people always try to explain it away. Well, what really happened and what was likely, and, uh, and I've heard uh, skeptics mention that at that time of year, at that particular place at the Red Sea, the Israelites would have found not dry ground necessarily, it was almost, but it was probably about 18 inches of water that they would have passed through on the Red Sea. And uh, one preacher said, well, that's even more miraculous that he drowned Pharaoh's army in 18 inches of water, right? It doesn't matter how miraculous God makes it in the Bible. People always try to explain it away, but it is repeated for us. They crossed on dry ground. Exodus 14, verse number 13, records this event. Notice the faith of Moses. I love this verse. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. Verse 14, he says, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Can you imagine this scene? Millions of Israelites are fleeing Egypt. Most of them, they're running for their lives. They're being pursued by the Egyptian army, and they come to the Red Sea. Now they're between the sea and the Egyptian army. No doubt they were trembling. You would have been trembling. I would have been trembling. Like, what are we, where are we going to go? We have nowhere to go. And Moses says, quit being afraid. Calm down. Stand still. Be quiet and watch what God will do. What faith is that? Verse number 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God's like, quit praying and start moving. There's a time to pray, and faith leads you not just to pray, but to act. And so he says, quit talking to me and start marching forward. Verse 16, but lift thou up thy rod, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea, and I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And he does. And they walk across on dry ground, and the Egyptians are drowned. You can tell somebody that you have all the faith in the world, but until you step out into that Red Sea, James said, I will show you my faith by my works, by my obedience. That's what Moses did. He didn't just talk about it. His life reflected his faith. I love what Vance Havner said about Moses. He said he chose the imperishable, he saw the invisible, 
he did the impossible. Lastly, number four, his reward. The reward of his faith. What did Moses get in return? At the beginning of Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, it says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Moses looked forward to the reward. His present faith was based on a future promise, a future hope. Moses was looking ahead to that final day, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will reward all of his saints, where we will stand before the judgment seat, not to receive a penalty or punishment for sins, but a reward for good works done on earth for him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When all of our works are laid bare before the Savior, and the fire of the judgment seat is lit, only what was done for Christ, only what was done for His glory and for His name will remain, and everything else will pass away. That day, that day of reward, was as real to Moses as the present day that he lived. You could say that he already had it circled on his calendar. Christian, you ought to have that day circled on your calendar. Every day of our lives should be lived in anticipation for the reward to come. That future promise should drastically change our present reality. He knew the decision to reject Egypt would lead to suffering and heartache and pain in his present time. Oh, but the reward to come would far outweigh any hardships he would face on earth as he would see his Savior face to face and gaze upon his nail-pierced hands. As the Apostle Paul said, all the sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that awaited Moses and the glory that awaits you. The reward of God makes the power of Egypt laughable. The reward of God makes the pleasures of sin undesirable. The reward of God makes the treasures of Egypt look worthless. Moses knew there was a better kingdom, a better calling, a better reward awaiting him. Friend, that's faith. He exchanged what he had for what he didn't have. He exchanged what he could see with what he couldn't see. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what couldn't Moses lose? 1 Peter 1, verse number 4, says that he had an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's what was waiting on Moses. Christian, that's what's waiting on you. Moses was looking to that reward. He fixed his eyes upon it. He was a living illustration. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. It's so easy for us to become enamored with the treasures of Egypt. Yet Moses had determined to set his eyes on the reward, not just once, but every day to keep fixing his eyes on what was to come. Moses couldn't see his reward, 
He couldn't see it. But he believed God was true to his word. Sometimes in life we think, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. But God knows. We think, well, I can't do this. But God can. Well, I can't see it. But God sees. Annie Flint wrote that. I know not, but God knows. O oh, blessed rest from fear. All my unfolding days to him are plain and clear. Each anxious puzzled why, from doubt or dread that grows, finds answer in this thought. I know not, but he knows. I cannot, but God can. O oh, balm for all my care. The burden that I drop, his hand will lift and bear. Though eagle pinions tire, I walk where once I ran. This is my strength to know. I cannot, but he can. I see not, but God sees. Oh, all-sufficient light, my dark and hidden way to him is always bright. My strained and peering eyes may close in restful ease, and I in peace may sleep, because I see not, but he sees. Friend, you may not see it. The reward is invisible. Yet we are to live as it is real, as it is right in front of our face. Even though we can't see it, he sees, he knows, he can. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, if you would bow with me uh, for a time of prayer before our invitation. With heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, let me first say, if you are here today and you are unsure of your salvation, there has never been a time in your life where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. What are you waiting for? What could you possibly gain in this world that would be worth your soul? The answer is nothing. Nothing. If you have never put your faith in Christ, maybe right now, at this moment, from your seat, in your heart you would call out to Him. You could pray a simple prayer. Like, dear Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose for me. Forgive me. And please save my soul. Friend, if you will pray but a simple prayer of faith in sincerity, the Bible says you shall be saved. If you have not done that, I admonish you to do that today. Christian, maybe you've been struggling with some questions. Why, God? I don't understand, God. Today would be a good day to come. Ask the Lord to strengthen your faith and to trust in what you can't see. May the Lord give us an opportunity to show our faith this week. Lord, we love you and we praise you for your grace and mercy in saving us, calling us to serve you. Lord, help us not just to talk about faith, but to be living examples of faith. For those who have children, to their children, but to all of those around us. Let us follow this beautiful example of this great, man of yours, the servant of yours, Moses. 
Help us to understand, Lord, our, our faith will not be perfect. Yet, God, you will use us greatly if we have great faith. Let us be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.